0: Well, um, obviously this is a special day for me. It'll be my last time before you like this in this role. Um, and I don't know, I, I'm assuming at this point everybody knows what's going on, you know? Um, but if you don't, I'm transitioning out of, out of this lead role. That transition's been happening for quite some time, really for the last couple years. been passing on more and more to our staff and our leadership team. And you, Gospel Tab family, are releasing me and my family to a more regional work of um, church multiplication and multiplying missional outposts in our network in the region. And I, yeah. I think, you know, it's very likely that in the future, um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to stand in front of you and tell stories. And I just want to say, like, I could stand here, like, if I started telling stories today... Of everything that we're seeing happen in McKeesport and Butler and Pittsburgh and Tarentum and all of this Somerset, I was there two days ago. Um, just the the momentum that we're seeing in multiplication, and you guys are playing a role in that because you're releasing us to it. And you guys are going to get to be part of that story. Um, you guys are going to be an ongoing part of that story, and. And, you know, we'll figure out what all the details look like, but I'm still going to be around because our family isn't just the gospel tab, but now the Greenhouse Network, this regional movement. Um, the tab is such an important part of that, and I'm so glad you're part of it. Um, but, uh, um, you know, we're still going to get to be around each other. So I think I, I think I have said this to you, but at least for the next four months, and then we'll discern what's next. I won't be here on Sunday mornings. Um, in part because I have other Sundays lined up at other churches between now and Christmas. There's more and more even legacy churches. Interesting, even in this multiplication and all this innovation and stuff, I think in our DNA is um, just a love and affection for legacy churches like the Gospel Tab. You know, 106 years old this year, I believe. And uh, we just believe that churches like this have a role to play. And so uh, for the next few months, I'm going to be worshiping with some of those churches, preaching at some of those churches, being with with some of those pastors and leaders. And thank you so much uh, for releasing us to that. So, you know, coming to this Sunday, I was like, man, what am I going to do? I could just like preach my heart out, like preach, you know? Um, And I'll be honest with you, I decided against that. um, And it's because... This story is too good to make the last bit of the story like, "Wow, didn't Joel preach a good sermon on the last Sunday?" You know. Um, instead, I was like, "Man, that's not what I want people saying when they leave the service." Um, instead, I would just really treasure some time with you as my family, and to be able to share with you some things that are on my heart. So, I am going to point to some scriptures. Um, But this really isn't a sermon. It's more like, here's just the things I really want to tell you on this Sunday. (laughs) All right? (laughs) And and, um, I'm trusting that that Jesus will be with us in it. So people have asked me, you know, what my emotional space is. And I have had some emotional days leading up to today. Like, there was a morning a few weeks ago. I woke up, and I was like, man, I was like teary-eyed all morning. And, you know, just paying attention, we have this emotional healing course coming up, just paying attention to our emotions and being curious and asking questions with them and being patient with them. I was just like, what am I feeling, you know, right now? And overwhelmingly, the emotion I've been feeling, even if I've been teary-eyed, is just grateful. Um, Just really grateful to be part of this story. I may have said this like a few Sundays ago, but recently I was with some... Alliance church planters in in uh, another city, and I was taken to two people from Western PA with me for some training and stuff and beautiful gathering about thirty Alliance church planters, um, mostly people of color, women in the mix. I was just so encouraged by the future of the church even in our alliance family um, and Uh, We were at this really big church and I'm not being critical at all because it's a great place that has done a lot of good ministry But we were at this really big church and they wanted us to hear the origin story of this church It was a campus of another even another bigger church and This young guy came in in his 20s. He's the campus pastor And man, he's super cool He's charismatic. You know, you can tell he's just natural in front of people um and he's telling us the the story of the church plant, which basically was like he was like, you know, you're sitting in a sixty thousand square foot facility that was given to me, and um and the mother church gave us three hundred people, and he's telling us how much they have in their budget, like he's giving us a lot of details about the church. And m- man, I'm I'm certain God is working, you know, in the midst of all of that. I'm also in this room of these church planners who are largely planting churches in hard contexts where it's unlikely that their churches will ever become, you know, what was being presented to us. And by the way, that doesn't mean that they're less. It, what they're doing is so beautiful, you know. But the story that was being presented is just so foreign to what this young guy was saying. So can I tell you what was in my heart as I was hearing all this? Oh, I, I, I maybe shared this a few Sundays ago, but Someone asked him, you know, like, well, what's your five-fold gifting? Like, we talk a lot about five-fold gifting here at the Gospel Tab. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you'll catch up later. Um, but, but he's like, yeah, I'm apostolic. And then the next thing out of his mouth is he's like, I'm apostolic. As a matter of fact, what I don't do is, is pastoring, is shepherding, like that gift. He was like, I've only visited people twice in the hospital. Um, and one of them was my friend who had brain cancer. He's like, I've only been to the hospital two times. It's like everything else is movement and innovation and apostolic and you know, he's throwing all these words around. Hey man, I'm sitting there hearing this this guy. And honestly, the overwhelming feeling that I'm feeling is just compassion. Like I wanted to walk up to him and hug him and be like, Bro, has anyone loved you just for you? You know? <laughs> and and you know why I felt that way? Because that's exactly what the gospel tab did for me. You know, I came on staff here when I was 22 years old um, you know young innovative ideas good in front of people you know all that kind of stuff and I found a group of people who just loved me you know and not my gifts and, and I, I'm not romanticizing it our church went through a lot in the last 15 years like if how, how many people have been here for at least 15 years yeah some people in the room if you've, if you've been here, you know how much we've been through and how much has changed and how change is hard for everyone and how that's very much been part of the story. There's been lots to celebrate. There's been lots of tears too. Um, and yet, in the midst of all those changes, in the midst of all the things that were happening, I found a group of people just to love me. And, and by the way, here at the Gospel tab, then Crestmont Alliance Church, I had lots of opportunity to visit people in the hospital. I had lots of opportunity to take communion to people, you know. Um, I'm so glad that in my early 20s, I learned to do funerals. Um, And I'm just telling you, the more I get into the church planning world, the more I discover that like this young guy, and I'm sure he's doing great work, but sometimes people with those giftings, don't get the incredible privilege of shepherding a group of people in obscurity for a long period of time, you know? And I'm telling you, I would wish it on any young leader. And the more charismatic they are, the more I think they need it. The more their gifts are good in front of people, the more I think they need to spend time in the hospital visiting people. And you know why? It's because Jesus is in those hospital rooms See that's what I discovered That's what you allowed me to discover Is that Jesus is in those hospital rooms He sits with the sick He sits with the dying Right He comforts you know people who are grieving And don't get me wrong I know what my gifts are and what they aren't And I'm not the most pastoral shepherding people But some of you are way better at that than me And yet you gave me that opportunity And I'm so grateful for it. I'm so glad I'm going into this next season with all of that opportunity, you know, just to see Jesus in the ordinary places of life. So thank you. So I have um, just a a few things I want to share with you. I I don't know if they're completely like all connected, but you'll you'll follow along, I think. Um, They're here on the screen, so I don't forget them because I don't have notes today. So these are my notes up here. Number one, I want you to know, Gospel Tab, that you're a church like Antioch and you'll be okay. All right. So I'm going to say some things about that. I have two apostolic messages from the scriptures that I want to leave with you today. Pretty much just word for word from the scriptures. And then, I just want to make this observation that I think a fundamental thing that the Gospel Tab has become is a community of desire. So, first of all, um, you are a church like Antioch. Just Recall in your mind for a minute if, if you know it, if you don't, it's okay You can look it up later or ask someone But in the story of the book of Acts We see some different models of the church emerge And so after the Holy Spirit falls On that early prayer meeting in Acts chapter 2 There's something about the way The early church existed in Jerusalem That had to do with attracting people to their number And adding people to their number. Even in an extraordinary way. So think about it. Right after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on the church. Peter preaches this sermon. And literally there's a response of thousands of people. Who hasn't read that and ached for it? Right? Ached for that kind of power. That kind of mass response, right, to the gospel. And if you read in those early chapters, the church settles itself into these rhythms of gathering together, even in larger gatherings, and that eventually, we'll get to this in a second, the church really became a movement of house, house gatherings. But in Jerusalem, they were still sometimes meeting in the temple, so sometimes in larger numbers. At that point, the church was still integrated with the synagogue, so there were still worship services happening, and there was a character of the early church that had more to do with big crowds. And I just want to acknowledge that God was and is in that. Like, there are times and places where God works on the earth and crowds gather. It happened to Jesus, right? And if we believe that Jesus is still walking the earth today, we would anticipate that that's something that's still going to happen, right? That there's going to be times and places where larger crowds of People gather Now, if you study you know, closely Jesus' interaction with those crowds, you'll see it wasn't all success and excitement, right Like crowds can be fickle things. They're there in one season, then they don't like what you say, and so they're not there. So you can't put your identity in them. One moment, they're cheering for Jesus, the next they're turning on him, right? Crowds are unpredictable things. And yet God is at work in the unpredictability of the human experience, even in the psychology, the sociology of crowds, right? We would expect that Jesus would show up there. But after a deacon named Stephen gets martyred, the first recorded martyr in the book of Acts, a persecution breaks out against the church, and not by the church's choice, but they get scattered. And we discover in Acts that some of those early believers crossed cultural and racial lines, God started to do new thing, these reports were coming back to the apostles in Jerusalem that Gentiles, people of different racial and cultural backgrounds were receiving this same Holy Spirit that they were being filled with the Spirit, evidencing the same signs and wonders as the apostles in Jerusalem the apostles themselves are in a learning process of recognizing that this blessing is not just for the Jewish nation right, but for the whole world, which even the Old Testament had prophesied And then, in Acts chapter 11, we discover that something special is happening in a city called Antioch, where prophets and teachers have gathered, where a community of people has gathered and has learned to hear the voice of Jesus. A friend of mine who has observed all of this, you know, the tab, the network from a distance, one time he said to me, it's one of the things I, you could say a lot of things about us that might sound like compliments, you could probably say a lot of things that don't sound like compliments too, but... But you could say a lot of things about us that sound like compliments, but this is one of the things I would treasure the most. He said to me, he said, you, whatever's happening at the tab, whatever's happening in the Greenhouse Network, it has all the marks of a community of people that has heard the voice of Jesus. Man, that, that's good for my heart, you know, to know that this has been rooted in our sincere attempt to position ourselves to hear his voice, and not just to hear his voice, but to do what he says. Amen. Um, That's different than just copying what other people do, right? That's different than just coming up with our own ideas. That's different than just reading books or going to conferences. It's saying we want to hear Jesus and do what he says, right? Because he's the one that we pledged our lives to in baptism, right? Not to a conference or a book, right? We aim so low sometimes, right? Um, And so... um, This group of people in Antioch, they're that kind of community. In the word of God, by the spirit of God, through prophetic and revelatory gifts, they've become a community of people who have learned to hear the Holy Spirit. And we discover something different about Antioch. You can't help but notice kind of contrast between Antioch and Jerusalem. And I'm going to say it again. God is at work in both of these. But you can't miss the difference. And it's that Antioch's legacy really doesn't have to do with the gathering of crowds of people. It really doesn't have to do with thousands of people coming to Christ at once. I'm not saying that didn't happen at Antioch. I'm just saying we don't have record of it. What we do have record of is Antioch being ascending church. Of taking their best, Paul and Barnabas, and laying hands on them and saying, go to the Gentile people. Right? go to Jews scattered throughout the ancient world and preach this gospel. They give their best away. I wonder what kind of tears were shed in that moment. I wonder what kind of price Antioch paid over the years. And you know, you will have the benefit as you send someone like me out and others that you've sent out of getting updates almost in real time, right? But Antioch would send people out and not hear anything for years, right? Right? until folks came back. And here's part of the cost of being a church like Antioch and not being a church like Jerusalem, that God will actually probably reach more people through a church like Antioch than Jerusalem, but you will see it with your own eyes less. I was talking to a a good friend of mine recently about this, about how... um, uh, you know, there's this, there's this church, some of you have heard me reference it, that gets celebrated, should be celebrated. The pastor's a friend of mine who started a multiplying movement on the West Coast. And before they knew it, there was nine generations of churches that had been planted from this one move of God. Over 2,000 churches got planted eventually in seven nations, this viral movement. But you know what I thought of this last week? I've, I've told that story a lot because it resonates with me. I'm like, oh, I get it because we're, we're an Antioch kind of people, right? So I like seeing a modern example of it. Um, but you know what It occurred to me? Like, that probably has happened other places. It's just this church happened to count, you know? This church happened to have a way to keep track. But it's probably happened more than what we know through all kinds of small places and ordinary people. And you know how I know that? Because you think that church on the West Coast has an incredible record, nine generations. Have you considered that we are in the lineage of Antioch? That we, how many generations of churches in 2,000 years got planted from this one place that we don't have any record of, right? Through the centuries of Christians sharing the gospel with other people and the gospel spreading and house churches gathering and churches getting planted. How many generations is that? And here's the paradox in it. Probably has reached way more people, but probably harder to see because there isn't a crowd. Right? Probably harder to see because It hasn't turned into something big. So I I think you know this. If you're part of the gospel tab, I think you know this, that this is what God is turning us into. But I want to turn your eyes to the scripture so that, because here's here's the deal. In the American church, God might be present and is, I believe, in both Jerusalem and Antioch, but I do got to tell you, we only hold out one model of success by and large in the American church for what makes a successful church. We read Jerusalem and be like, that's what it is to be successful. Crowds, thousands of people coming to crowd. I know that because I went into ministry with all those dreams, right? But what if God is calling a group of people to be more like Antioch and less like Jerusalem, to be a sending place, to give away its best, to keep choosing weakness, to choose things that aren't a crowd? How does that make us have to put our identity in Jesus, And say, our success story is not going to be written in the numbers of people that are in our seats. Our success story isn't written in the budget that we put up at the annual meeting and the amount of pastoral staff that we can hire. It's something else that God is doing, right? And it means, friends, that you might not get to see it, that I might not get to see it. We might never know our impact until glory, and when we get to glory, will we even care, right? Right. (laughs) But we even care when we get there, right? Because it's his story anyway. Are we going to be counting things in glory? You know, I don't know. I mean, Jesus is going to reward us because somehow he actually does and rewards us. I mean, he doesn't have to do that, but are we going to care? Are we just going to throw it all back at his feet, right? This reciprocity of wanting to give him our love and him pouring his affection on us, and it's just going to be wonderful, right? But it does mean that other churches even are going to look at you and they're going to have no idea, Gospel Ted, what you've done. They're going to have no idea the impact you've had. You're going to get less applause by being an Antioch church. But here's what I can promise you. Jesus will fill in all of that with his presence, with his glory. I feel his presence so strongly right now. He loves that, Right? I, I don't think, like, God is so generous. Like, you said, I just mentioned it. You see this, like, on one hand, like, he shares his glory with no one, right? On the other hand, he gives us everything, right? He's always, like, giving us his stuff. And even in heaven, like, you know, you see his generosity. Honestly, like, when churches or ministries or people get applause, I, I think, like, God loves us so much. I think, there's a sense in which like, he's applauding too. But here's the thing. If people applaud us, that is our reward. Scripture is just clear on that. Like, there it is. Enjoy it, because it's only going to last for a minute. Right? <laughs> but if we wait for our applause to glory, right? There's a different kind of reward right, that God has for us. And you are people I respect and love so much. Because you're choosing a different kind of reward. I'm so grateful for you. Here's my two apostolic messages. And I call them apostolic messages because they are literally quotes from apostles. All right. So here's the first. You know, after the the first missionary journey from Antioch, Paul and Barnabas eventually circled back through the churches to lay hands on people, to appoint them as elders. And I'm sure they said a lot of things. Encouraged them in a lot of ways. I bet Paul and Barnabas equipped them in a lot of ways. I bet they preached a lot of sermons, but we only have one line from their apostolic message to the churches. And here it is, and I think it's got to be close to apostolic movement. And you are part of apostolic movement. If you don't know what I mean, just hang around. You'll figure it out, all right? But you're part of apostolic movement, and this has to stay close to our hearts. This is their message to the churches. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I just saw the time. We're going to go late today. Are you okay? Okay. Here's a hardship. We're going late. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Um, I want you to know that suffering for suffering's sake is no good. It's actually what Jesus came to deliver us from. It's actually what his power rescues us from. Suffer, the kind of suffering for suffering's sake, for instance, the kind of suffering that's inflicted on the poor and the oppressed for the sake of nothing but people's power or, or whatever, that is no good, right? And it's why we work to reverse that kind of situation, right? But let me tell you this, suffering for the sake of love, and love almost always requires suffering, there is so much redemptive power and here's why it's because our suffering actually makes room for God to move our suffering actually opens up new possibilities of love and I want to tell you I don't know a powerfully anointed apostolic leader who does not have a testimony of suffering in their life Um, one of the reasons why we embrace this that our pathway to entering the kingdom of God is filled with suffering is because we believe that our Savior our Lord the head of the church also suffered and that his suffering opened up room for the whole world, right? It really wasn't the missionary activity of Antioch that made room for us. It was the suffering of Jesus that made room for us, right? It's his suffering in love that made room for all the people that are sitting here, for all the people of the world, right? And so as we follow him in love, and here's what I can tell you, it's you keep choosing to love your community, as you keep choosing to love other people, as you keep choosing to love the nations, as you keep choosing to love, you will suffer. You need to know that. I know that even you sending me off is a kind of suffering for the gospel to have. But it's a suffering in love. And I'm just telling you this. I don't know. If there's a way... No one remembers sermons. Like, you're probably not going to remember anything I said here. Like, I don't remember a lot of my sermons, right? But if you can... Etch something onto your mind From this morning It might just be this Gospel tab family When it feels in the future And it will sometimes That everything is going wrong That the devil is attacking That your prayers aren't being answered That it's just too hard To love the community That it's too hard To step into your call To be an Antioch people That it's too hard To send your kids to the nations That it's too hard to pick solidarity with the poor, that it's too hard to keep stepping into evangelism, when it, all of that feels too hard, friends, if you can just look at each other and say, it is the apostolic message that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Put it on your lips for each other. And don't you dare let the devil tell you that God has forgotten you or that you are failing just because it has gotten hard. All right? because this is the apostolic message that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God right? say it to each other remind each other of it don't let each other off the hook on this one turn to your sister turn to your brother and say in those times say listen I know it's hard, but we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I'm going to stand with you in this. I'm going to fast with you through this. I'm going to pray with you through this, right, until we get to glory. Because this is how we're entering the kingdom of God, right? I don't doubt at all that there's going to be hardships for you in the future. For me, I think I've said this before, Paul at one point says in the New Testament, all I know is that in every city there's hardships. That's how I'm feeling. I'm like stepping into Terenum, Somerset, stepping into these different places. I'm The city of Pittsburgh, I'm like, all I know is there's hardships in every one of these neighborhoods. All I know is there's hardships in every one of these places. But it is as we go through many hardships, right, that we enter the kingdom of God. And here's my, and there's more I could have left with you, but I just want to leave you with these two things. Here's a second one. It's when Paul is giving his testimony about his interaction with the Jerusalem apostles. And they work out some things because there's some disagreements, there's some hard things, and then this is what they say to him. I have it up on the screen in Galatians. The apostles in Jerusalem say to Paul, It's amazing that this is recorded because it is core to what it is to be the people of God, that he should continue to remember the poor. And Paul says that this is the very thing that he was eager to do. It's like that this is not secondary, this is not an add on to what it is to be the church. That if there is a church that does not love the poor, that does not have compassion for the poor, we are, we are participating in some kind of religion, but it is not the religion of Jesus. Um, let, me, let me tell you how deep this has gotten into me. I recently told my district superintendent, whose authority I'm under, and I'm you know, working with him, great guy, supports the tab, is cheering the tab on. Even today, I got a text from him. Um, but I told him, I said, Dave, I cannot build systems of church planting and multiplication that exclude the poor. Like, if we do, I don't know what religion this is anymore, right? If the poor cannot plant churches in our system, if the poor cannot start ministries, if the poor cannot become pastors, then this isn't the religion of Jesus, right? And so I just want to say to you, friends, with everything in my heart, don't forget the poor in this next season is one of the most beautiful things about you that you don't. And I'm not saying, like, love the poor as a strategy for mission, and not as a strategy for church growth, because here's one of the things I love about the poor, they don't give a rip about our churches. They don't give a rip about, Andrina, you know, all the people who come in and minister, do they give a rip about our denominations? Do they give a rip about our positions, our title? They could care less, right? Right? My district superintendent asked me recently, he said, Joel, how do you keep your soul scrubbed clean of the religious system? I said, I hang out with the poor because they don't give a rip. (laughs) They they refuse to be part of your, your narrative of success. If you're a ministry leader, they refuse to be part of it, right? Um, and be, for that very reason Years ago I asked George Steffi Who's sitting over here Like how did you keep serving the poor For so many years Part of his answer to me was He was doing ministry in East Liberty Other places for years, decades Part of his answer to me was It's because I meet Jesus in the poor And I need Jesus So do you understand I'm not saying where the poor is a badge of honor I'm not saying make them your cause I'm not saying make them your strategy What I'm saying is You need Jesus, friends I need Jesus, and let me tell you where you'll find him, is with the poor. So be about the poor. Stand with them. Let your voice, I can tell you when you do, people will question your ministry effectiveness. They will question your success. They will question your strategy. It doesn't matter. You'll find Jesus there. And that's enough, right? So continue to remember the poor. Here's my last thing. Jake, if you could come up and play. Well, actually, I think we're going to sing one more thing. I know I've held you long. But maybe the worship team could come up, I guess, then. We're going to finish. But here's just my last thing. I've been thinking a lot about what leadership is. I think I've been really reflective on it because I'm, you know, finishing this assignment. And um, I don't think in the 21st century leadership is about great vision. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think leadership is someone, a charismatic person standing up in front of you and telling you what you should do or what we should do or the vision that they think they got from God that you need to become a volunteer in. Like, I just don't think fundamentally that's what leadership is in the time in which we live. And here's at least my anecdotal, like, like observation. I don't think people buy it anymore. Do you? In this word-filled day, with all the social media and news, it's, it's like there's so many words. Words have kind of lost their meaning. You know what I'm talking about? And let me tell you, the genius, the nefarious genius of some of our politicians is that they say nothing. Instead, they appeal to your desires. All right? They know how to get you to feel something. And if you feel something, you'll vote a certain way, right? And among, among, the, among the emotions that are powerful motivators is fear, right? So politicians on all different kinds of sides love to evangelize in fear without really saying anything because they can get whole crowds of people to do all kinds of stuff, right? I think in the 21st century, what's going to have to rise up in an age where vision doesn't matter, words doesn't matter. We don't trust our institutions. We don't trust charismatic leaders. Like how, how many times are we gonna watch leaders fall in the church? How many times are we gonna watch our politicians disappoint us, right? And still think that somehow this works, right? I think God is doing something new and, and new as in he's done it before. I've been thinking a lot about the monastic communities. You know, I live with these Benedictines now. And um, I've been thinking about I don't think like the monks and the nuns in a time when the Roman Empire was cracking and falling apart I don't think that they were communities of great vision you know like here's how we're going to take the city really is that how they talked see that, that sounds so familiar for us in church because we've put on a pedestal a certain kind of politician a certain kind of CEO and said that's godly leadership in the church right most of these monks and these nuns, we don't even remember who they were, right? But they saved civilization. They cared for the poor. They fed people. They, they preserved knowledge. They gave us books. They figured out medicine, right? All without, like, we remember some of them, but rarely in their lifetime. It's really interesting. We remember a lot of the monks and the nuns Like, hundreds of years later, they become heroes to us. But in the time, they weren't those kinds of leaders. How could they be? They're like hidden away praying three times a day. So what was the effectiveness of their leadership? Here's what it was. The Jesuits, the Benedictines, the Dominicans, all these groups, they were communities of desire. They were communities who modeled to us a certain set of desires that happened to be more virtuous than what was happening in the Roman Empire. So they modeled these desires. While, while empire was saying the poor didn't matter, the monks and the nuns showed to us that you could actually want the poor, that you could actually want them, that you would want them to be at your table, that you would want them to be in relationship, and not for what they could give for you, but just for them, right? They modeled to us a desire for mission to the point of death. They modeled... And I know I'm romanticizing things a little bit. There were some stinkers in there, too. I get it, all right? But I'm just saying they were communities of desire. And I think it's really interesting that the Jesuits, Benedictines, all these different groups, they kind of had different sets of desires. Like the Franciscans, I don't know how much you know about this, the Franciscans, they had this thing for nature. Like, nature was their thing, right? Like... There's any and in the pictures of St Francis, right? There's always these birds on him and stuff, right? Because he connected to God, right? Through these through these animals and it's how we remember, right? The Benedictines were known for their work and for encountering Jesus in work, right? All holy desires, but not the same from community to community, right? All reflecting Jesus, but never the full picture of Jesus, just like an angle of him. And a group of people that were like, we're going to live our life out of these desires. I want to say, I don't know that the gospel tab, like Vision Sunday's coming up, praise God. But like, I don't know that this has ever been a community of great vision. And I don't know that I've really been a leader of great vision for you. Here's what I mean. Like half the time when the leadership team asks me questions, I don't know the answers. You know what I mean? Like, It's like, I don't know where we're going. I don't know how this is going to work out. I want to tell you that's okay too. So long as your desire is for him. So long as your desire is for the things that are close to his heart. As long as your desire is for the things that are precious to Jesus. The poor, our neighborhoods, our river valleys, right? So long as you catch his heart in those things and you model desire, on one hand, I don't know that the Gospel Tab will ever be a place that attracts a big crowd. I don't know if that's what Jesus wants to do. If he's into crowds in 2023, then go for it. You know what I mean? Like, do whatever he says, you know? But I'm just saying, here's why people are attracted to you, the Gospel Tab, and our Greenhouse Network family. It's not because we've never put out a big building campaign, I'm not putting any of this down we've never put out a big building campaign a big like vision like that I think they see in you an ache for the presence of God I think they see in you an ache for healing and miracles among us I think they see you, in you and you an ache for the poor, a longing for our communities. And you don't got to worry. Young adults will keep coming to be part of this community, not for your great vision, not because you told them where they needed to volunteer in your great vision, but because you ached for something and ordered your life around that longing, around that ache. Other people will want to be a part of it. Which is to say, if I'm talking about aching, it's to say that through many hardships, we enter the kingdom of God, right? Through many aches, through many longings, through many times on our faces, crying out to God for something we believe he can do, but we can't see it yet with our own eyes. It's in that aching that a whole community of people will coalesce around a family on mission. And that's what you've become. You are a community of desire, and I love the desires that you have. And I still want to be part of that. I'm aching with you, all right? Um, I just want to worship my face off. Can we do that? Yeah. I pulled out a hair tie cuz maybe I'll put my hair up. <laughs> You're with your hair whatever you like. Yeah. Come on, stand up. Let's worship together. Let's just celebrate. Can we worship for some for all of His goodness? But can we just worship as a Gospel Tab family for this last season of His work among us and anticipation for the season that's coming? You've got good things ahead of you, Gospel Tab family. Come on, let's put our hands together for Jesus. to your name, O Lord. Be the glory. We give you it all. We don't want people to remember the gospel tab. We don't want people to remember the Greenhouse Network. We want people to remember Jesus. You said that if you were lifted up, you would draw people to yourself. So Jesus, lift yourself up in the midst of us like Moses lifted that snake in the wilderness. And those who looked to it were healed. Lift up yourself among us. Lift up yourself in our neighborhoods. Come on, let's give a shout to our king. Jesus, let's worship it.